This podcast is brought to you by the Los Angeles Inner Group of Overeaters Anonymous. Please visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three podcast feeds of over 200 sound files of individual speakers as well as events such as retreats and workshops. You'll also find order forms for ordering CDs of many of these speakers through the San Fernando Valley Inner Group of OA. Finally, we have a donation button where you can contribute to keeping this valuable service continuing for yourself and others. Again, our website is www.oalaig.org. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Trish. Good evening. My name is Trish. I'm a compulsive overeater, bulimic. Hi, Trish. And I'm really, really happy. Thank you, John, for asking me to be here. It's been a while since I've spoken at a meeting, so I feel really um, grateful. Uh, I came in in 1986 after Thanksgiving when my sister, one of my sisters, said to me, you know, what are you going to do about your weight for like the gazillionth time? And all I could do at that point when somebody asked me that question was cry. I had no language, I had no connection to my feelings, um, and she had been in Al-Anon at the time, and she said, I know a woman in Al-Anon who lost 100 pounds in Overeaters Anonymous, what do you think? So, you know, I went to my first meeting in the Valley, it was a teeny-weeny little meeting, probably about four people, I interrupted the meeting every chance I got, like raising my hand, what do you mean, what is abstinence, what am I supposed to eat, you know, how long do I have to be here? Um... And I was convinced I'm, like, never going to tell anybody I was bulimic, never going to tell anybody I abused laxatives because it never worked, in my opinion, for me. It never made me skinny, so it didn't count. And um, I thought, like, tell me what to eat. I know how to diet. Tell me what to eat, and then um, tell me how long I need to be here, and then I'll know, like, you know, four weeks from now I will look like this and I'll be done. Um, but what happened was, I've heard this in OA, um, another speaker said that he's, when he came to OA, he felt like he landed on his planet. And for some reason, that really resonated with me because by, like, the second or third meeting I went to without any siblings in tow, um, I got, like, what you guys were talking about, I was like, shoot, other people do that stuff? You know, that girl's talking about being a bulimic, you know, in front of a bunch of people. You know, meanwhile, you know, my stomach was cramped from abusing laxatives, and um, I just kept coming back, you know. I didn't really know what I was supposed to eat. I was really, like, hung up on that thing. And um, back then, they suggested no sugar, no white flour. And, you know, I tried that, and I was like, well, I don't really overeat. I overeat everything, basically. I didn't have, like, one thing that was my big problem. And um, I talked to a speaker at one of my first meetings, and I was like, you know, I don't really know what I'm not supposed to eat. And she said, what can't you take your hand out of the bag of? And I was like, well, that's pretty much everything, you know. (laughs) I ate nonstop. I ate when I got up. If I came to your house, I went in your kitchen and ate. If I was at work, I went into that kitchen and ate. I didn't know how to not eat all day long. Really, that's pretty much the biggest the biggest thing, the biggest hurdle for me when I got here. And back then they suggested three meals a day. No sugar, no flour. And I was like, okay. So I tried the no sugar, no flour thing. That was was a little too difficult for me. Um, I was, I think I was 20 or 21 and living at my sister's house and going to college. And, you know, it was just not really always in control of my preparing my food. So it was just a little too complicated for me to do the 
no sugar, no flour. But the three meals a day, man, that, like, kicked my ass for the first month and a half that I was here. I, it was so much harder than I thought it was going to be because I, until I wasn't eating all day long, I didn't realize how I was eating all day long. Um, so what I committed to on January 18th in 1987 was three meals a day, nothing in between, and no bulimia. Um, and in the beginning, for 12 years, I didn't eat any sugar. And I'll get to that in a, in a little bit. But just want to kind of get the story part out of the way. Um, and from then on, you know, with the exception of, like, medically necessary when I was pregnant, if I needed to eat between a meal, um, I, I committed to somebody else in the program. But, you know, for the most part of 21 years, I've eaten three meals a day with nothing in between. Everybody is different, and this is... The greatest gift of this program is, you know, when they say, when when I hear abstinence is a loose-fitting garment um, and abstinence is your glove or whatever the sayings are, that really meant a lot to me because I really needed to find what worked for me. And what worked for me when I got here was three gigantic meals three times a day, and that had to be how I was abstaining. I was abstaining from compulsive overeating in between those three meals, and that was enough, and that got me through. And you know what? And I lost weight in the first, you know, 60, 90 days. So excited to take my chips, all of that. And um, so I, it kept propelling me forward, and I trusted and believed um, that the road was going to get narrower, and it did. And, you know, today I don't sometimes... I, says, I don't sometimes need three meals a day. Um, sometimes I have two meals a day. Sometimes I have three meals a day, and that's okay. It's not an undereating thing. It's not a weight-controlling thing. It just kind of is. I wish I could stand up here and say I'm one of those people that I eat when I'm hungry and I eat whatever I want whenever I want it. I haven't evolved to that place yet, but there are people in programs who can and do, and um, I'm just not there yet. But some days I need three meals, and some days I'm okay with lunch and dinner, you know. Um, I find for me, sometimes if I eat breakfast, I'm hungry all day long. If I eat lunch and dinner, I'm, I kind of, it's, for my body right now, that's kind of is what's working for me. But in the beginning, it was seriously three of the most gigantic meals you've ever seen. And sometimes breakfast at four in the morning, you know, all of that stuff. I had to... I had to build some sort of construct around my food when I got here to keep me going. And then within that, you know, yes, there was fudging around with breakfast at 4 in the morning. But you know what? I didn't eat again till lunch, you know, and, and, and I didn't do it more than once or whatever. But that's what I had to do, and that's what has worked for me. And the other thing that I learned very early on with the sponsor is that your abstinence, my abstinence is subject to change at any time. So... You know, I just discovered recently I can't eat wheat thins, you know. I, I can't eat, like, the normal portion of wheat thins. I hadn't had wheat thins in probably 10 years. Now I know why I hadn't had them in 10 years. I think I must have put them on my, you know, uh, yellow light foods. Um, so that's kind of my food history story. I think my top weight... You know, I'm 5'3". I wear weight kind of weird for as little short as I am. Um, even when I would go to professional diet centers, they would always say, like, I can't believe you weigh that much. You don't look like you weigh that much. So I think my top weight was, you know, probably between 160 and 165. And I don't weigh myself. I don't know what I weigh. I didn't weigh myself when I was pregnant. 
my whole life growing up, it was always about, like, what did I weigh? And super-duper, like, shame going to the pediatrician, standing on the scale and, you know, watching the little thing go up. And right in front of the chart that says, like, you know, average, high, you know, and it was big red letters. And I was always in the big red letter zone. And um, with the male pediatrician and my mom standing there, like, over me, you know, don't you want to be thin? Don't you want to be like your sisters? And I was like, if it was just about wanting, I, it, you know, we'd, I wouldn't be having this conversation. And I wouldn't be here, you know, because, God, I wanted it. That was all I wanted. Until I got here, that was all I wanted. Because I thought that was being thin <clears throat> was the first thing, and after it, all other things would follow. The job, the boyfriend, the stuff, the cool-looking life would all kind of fall in place after being thin. Um, and what I learned when I got here was um, that abstinence has to be the first thing. And if I abstain from compulsive overeating, I guess I should qualify that my food plan is different. Like, I know the language has somehow changed in the last 20-whatever years, but that my, my food plan is different than my abstinence. I guess that's how they say it. Um, I abstain from eating in between meals. And um, my food plan is pretty much I eat pretty much kind of all foods. And then when I have an incident like I do with wheat thins, I go, hmm, can't really eat wheat thins. or can't have them in my house, those kinds of things. And I check in with another compulsive overeater when something like that comes up. Or, you know, I need to make a commitment that I'm not going to eat bread at dinner tonight or those kinds of things. I'm try to be vigilant about that stuff, but sometimes I'll be like, oh, I didn't commit that no bread tonight. Hmm. You know, and I'll eat it anyways. I'm a compulsive overeater. You know, that's still part of who I am, and that's still part of what I have to deal with on a daily basis. And for the most part, I get a daily reprieve because of the steps, which is really what I want to talk about. Um, For me... Getting to admit that I was powerless, I'm reading up there, and that my life had become unmanageable was such, it like took the load off my back. It meant that like it wasn't my fault anymore, you know. And in my whole life growing up, I felt like it was my fault. Like, why am I the fat one? Why am I the misfit? Why am I the, you know, loser? That was, you know, what I thought. And when I got here, it was like everybody like claps and they love you. And it's like, yoo we're all powerless. Um, and I was like, yay. That's why I felt like I'd landed on my planet, because I thought, well, finally people know what this feels like. You know, I was the total identified patient in my family. My, meanwhile, my dad, who died of cirrhosis of the liver in a care unit when I was 15, um, but it was like, no, she's fat. Look at her, you know. Here's the problem. Um, that was... You know, that was my story. So when I got here, I felt so much kind of acceptance and so much burden lifted from me because I didn't feel like I, number one, had to do it alone, thank God, because I really felt like I dealt with it alone so much in my life. And so admitted I was powerless, that was great. And I heard a great thing in a meeting once where a guy said, I haven't even made it to the hyphen in the first step. (laughs) I thought that's so true. Sometimes that's as far as you can go. Um, And then, you know, I really got to, 
I have to say, when I got here, I was so willing. And I'm not entirely sure why I wasn't at my top weight. I, I was binging and vomiting a lot. I was um, bottoming out in that area. And really, like, you know, looking at the brown rice diet, you know, it was like one more diet to try and do. And uh, I got to learn here to create and develop a relationship with my higher power and for that to become, over these years, to morph from, like, what I was taught as a kid into, you know, what I needed and what I felt God was in my life for me as an adult, as an adult woman. And it's been such an incredible journey and so many different tools and work that I've done with different sponsors along the way and, you know, writing a want ad for my higher power and what did I need and what would the perfect higher power do and what would, you know, what would that be and what would that feel like and really creating something that was like soft and gentle and loving and, you know, undoing a lot of learning that I had had over the years prior to getting here. And so that's been one of the most incredible gifts that I've got is my relationship with my higher power and something that I feel like only gets kind of more um, fine-tuned as the years go on. And I sometimes I'm blown away that I think, like, oh, I can't wait to, like, get in bed and pray, you know, or get in bed and, like, talk to God. And I, I was not like that before I got here because I really feel like it's a relationship now. I really feel like there's a back and forth. And sometimes I think... <clears throat> There's things that I'm happy to give up to God, and sometimes I think, like, well, i got to take this. You can have these things, but i got to manage this, because I really know what's going on over here way more than you do. And, you know, I get my butt kicked over there, you know, in that area. So step two and three have really been um, kind of evolving over the years. The longer that I'm here, I've been able to kind of peel away different layers and see what my relationship with God can be what it is becoming and really along with abstaining and making that the focal point and um, sobriety, making all of that kind of the center of my my life and my days and all of that. So moving along to fourth step. Um, I was like secretly so excited about, like, I get to write down all my deepest, darkest thoughts, and, you know, somebody has to listen to them, like, you know, (laughs) yippee, I was just, you know, really kind of morbidly curious about what that was going to be like, and then when my sponsor said, you know, okay, well, this is the format you're going to follow, I did it straight out of the big book with the columns, and I had to write every, you know, instead of, like, I resent my mom, and then the list, I had to write, like, I resent my mom for. I I mean, it was, like, laborious. And thank God it was, because it slowed me down, you know. Because I went that slow, and because it was that tedious, it was that thorough. And, you know, I encounter a lot of people in program who, when they come up to this step, you know, they they poop out, or they go in a different direction, and... um, I can only share what has worked for me. I can only share my experience, strength, and hope. I do not know how to abstain from compulsive overeating and bulimia by just going to meetings or by just going to meetings and calling a few people. Um, My recovery 
I am confident and certain of is as a result of working the 12 steps continually. You know, I've done several four steps in the program and spot check inventories on different people in different places in my life. Um, but nothing was as kind of, um, let's say catastrophic. So I guess that's, catastrophic is the first one, you know, in the sense of really kind of turning my life upside down because I really had to, I really was given the gift of knowing that what I was doing was a really big deal and that um, it was a privilege for my sponsor to hear it and to do step five with me. So it made me feel really kind of validated and made me know that this, that step is really hard work. That is the meat and bones of the program. You know, that is the, I'm really making a conscious choice to let this stuff go to the best of my ability. I'm not going to drag around mean Tara from the schoolyard in fifth grade anymore with me. Um, although sometimes I still do. Um, but that's what that was for me. That was really a letting go of all that kind of baggage. And really like it was... My sponsor was really great about it, and we did it over a couple of days and lit a candle, and then I burned it, and I really felt like I was treated, and it was treated with the respect that it needed because I'd always been a journal girl. I'd always been writing my feelings down and all of that, and this really made me know that this was something different. And she said, and I'd say this to the women that I sponsor, this step will change your life, and it did. And I'm, and I'm so grateful. And I'm grateful that when I got here, you know, one of my character defects, you know, I was like the fat, jolly, nice girl all through growing up. And so when I got here, I really wanted you to like me, and I really didn't want my sponsor to drop me. So whatever she told me to do, I did it, like, right there. And thankfully, that kept me, like, on my toes because I kept doing whatever she told me to do. And ultimately, you know, that defect of being a people pleaser kind of paid off for me because it kept me doing my work. Um, and six, seven, and eight, those I think, you know, maybe not hard work steps, but, you know, I live in those kind of a lot. I feel like I'm always having to ask God to remove my shortcomings because they come up a lot in my daily life. And particularly for me personally, gossip, um, you know, it's the same voice that tells me, like, well, you could have another piece of that or you could eat another plate of that is the one that goes, well, you could tell her that about so-and-so. It's, you know, what's the big deal? Um, so I try to abstain from gossip. It's a big it's a big one for me. Um, and then, make, you know, making a list of the people I had harmed. You know, going back to my inventory with my sponsor and making the list of people. I'll back up just for a second. <coughs> I didn't like the my part column in the inventory, <laughs> by the way. And I kept thinking, why is she writing stuff down, you know, while I was reading it? And she was writing down my most kind of egregious um, character defects as I was reading my inventory, which then became part of my eighth and ninth step. But, you know, I didn't want to have a part. I was the injured one, you know. I'd been the, the victim. And... Uh, that was really uncomfortable to kind of get to that piece. But, you know, that's why it's hard work. So anyways, moving along to um, 8 and 9, you know, I when I was doing 8, I was only obsessed with, like, i never going to be able to tell so-and-so that I 
stole money from them, and I'm never going to be able to do that. And, like, I kept having to be reminded, you're not on step nine, you're on step eight. All you're doing is making a list. And, and again, this is one of those steps that I tell the women that I sponsored, sponsor, this is a step that will change your life. And it's super uncomfortable. But the more I was told, this step is for you. This isn't for the person you're making the amends to. This is about your recovery. And, you know, I, I realize, and even now today when I have to make amends, it makes the other person really uncomfortable. They don't like when you say, hey, I'm taking responsibility for this thing that I did, and, you know, I hope that I cannot be this way in our relationship anymore. They invariably, at least in my experience, go like, oh, my God, it's so okay to worry about. You know, they want to, like, totally take care of you. And, you know, that's when I, when I have that experience, that's when I know this is just, like, for me. This is for my recovery, and I'm glad to be honest. And I was so not honest before. I was, like, a total... Fibber, fudger, lie on my time card, you know, grab a nail polish from Rite Aid, you know, steal slim fast. I mean, you name it. All of that kind of stuff. So getting to the amends piece and making financial amends and making amends with my family and my friends and all of that, um, I really felt like I have a clean slate, you know. And then with with the 10th step, you know, I have an opportunity to keep that slate clean on a daily basis. And most of the time, I so don't want to make amends that I usually can hopefully will stop myself before I'm going to do the thing that I know I'm going to have to make the amends for if I do it. Um, but if not, you know, I, I, I'm willing. You know, that's the one of the things that we read in How It Works is um, not that, without help it is too much for us. And then the... Um, you know, that we only have to be willing. And I, some days that's the best that I can do. Some days I can just be willing. I can't, I don't make the right food choices on those days necessarily, or, you know, I have all my character defects in my face flying around and I'm, you know, nasty or mean or gossiping or any of those things. But you know what, I, you know, at the, the next day, the only, have to, only thing I have to do the next day is be willing to not do that. And that's a gift of the program for me. And the other, one of the other things that I really loved when I got here is um, that I don't have to do anything alone again. You know, I had a, um, when I was brand new, I was so afraid of asking somebody to sponsor me that I ended up picking somebody who was really not mentally well because she raised her hand and then I asked her and she said yes and um, and then she dropped me which was really like you know now really like what could be worse you know I picked the kind of most unwell person in the room and then she called me and said I can't sponsor you anymore Um, and I got a new sponsor like right away somebody kind of took me under their wing and I had to see this first sponsor at a meeting and I was really scared. I Now it seems kind of silly. I don't know why I was so scared, but I was super scared to see her for the first time after she dropped me. And my sponsor and this other woman said, we'll go with you. And they each held one of my hands and I walked past this woman in a really busy meeting and said, hi. Hi. She said, hi back. 
And, you know, I thought, God, that's it. That's just this program. You know, somebody's always going to take my hand and help me do something. I've practiced, like, this is what I have to say when I ask for a raise. And everybody goes, yay, and they clap for you, you know. And, you know, this is, I went on this date, and this was horrible, or, you know, this boss this, and this roommate that, and everybody, my whole experience in, in OA I have always felt like there is somebody there who has done what I've done, or, you know what I mean, has um, gone before me. And there's always somebody, like I said, to hold my hand through something that's difficult or challenging. Uh, My mom was really ill for several weeks a few years ago, and I was always in awe of people who would say, you know, my, I had a parent die or my parent was sick and I didn't have to eat through it. And I just thought, I wonder what that's going to be like if that experience comes around for me. And, you know, they were all my program friends. You know, how are you doing? What's going on? How's your mom? You know, what can we do? <clears throat> and it felt incredible. And it really felt like I was not going through the experience alone. You know, and it's nice when you have your natal family and my husband and my kids and all of that kind of stuff to go through a difficult time, but there's really nothing that can replace the fellowship and the support that you get, that I get in a 12-step program in that way, to really not feel like I'm doing it alone. Um, Okay, step 11, or 10, you know, we talked about 10 and just the spot check inventory, and I don't write a 10th step every night, I write every morning, this is kind of how I work the steps today. I write the first three steps on my fears and um, that I'm not in control. Um, every morning, write them out in longhand, and then I do kind of a gratitude list and, a, and another list. And talk to my sponsor, you know, maybe a couple times a week, and other women that I sponsor. And, you know, I just feel like, you know, if I've got both feet in here and I'm doing what those before me have told me to do, I'm less likely to not be here anymore. And I know that, as just by evidence with my wheat thins incident, that, you know, I, I can compulsively overeat pretty much anything still, you know, 21 years later. I can, as a kid, I could overeat cottage cheese, carrots, you know, sliced turkey, you name it, you know, because my house was full of, like, all the good foods. You know, but still I was, you know, 30, 40 pounds overweight on all the good food that was in the house, you know. So I know that there are things that I need to do in order to keep myself sane and to keep myself as a kind of productive member of society and a productive wife and um, mother in my house. And that starts with my abstinence keeping that at the forefront of my mind, as I said, and my relationship with God, which is also bringing me around to step 11. And, you know, that's just really been a process for me, finding which which ways work for me, which what's comfortable for me in having my relationship with God, what works for me. Very often it's just writing a letter to God and then just kind of waiting and listening to what comes back. <coughs> Or just simply just praying, you know. People say, you know, the prayer is when you ask and meditation is when you listen and you get your reply from God. And I just, I, I don't, 
feel like I've talked about this a lot already, but my relationship with my higher power is really um, the foundation of my life and my recovery, I really firmly believe. And then step 12. I don't know that I've had a, like a total spiritual awakening. I remember when a meeting that I went to, a woman said that she asked God for a spiritual awakening, and that day, like, a rock fell out of the sky in front of her on the sidewalk. And I always thought, like, okay, I'm ready. What, like, where's that going to get here? Um, I feel like I have, I joke with my friend who's in program, like, I have, we have, like, epiphanies, you know, and probably a few years ago I had an epiphany about the third step prayer, and I was like, oh, um, what's the line in there? It says, um, Relieve me of the bondage of self. And I was like, oh, like like a light bulb went off. Like I'd been saying the prayer for years, but then finally I got it. Like, oh, when I'm like checking my butt out and looking at myself in the mirror and what do I look like and changing my clothes and that, like that's the bondage of self. You know, I don't want to, I want to be relieved of that. And I have to say that in terms of what I still long for and work towards is I really really hope one day to have a better kind of sense of my body and myself and what that is and what that looks like and (coughs) not feeling so much still. I still have those days where I feel like the 12-year-old kind of overweight kid is the one who's running the show. And that part I still kind of struggle with and that's hard and it's challenging and I oh good okay thanks it's hard and it's challenging for me because I feel like this far into program I wish it was gone you know and I joke with my girlfriends we call it like oh I got a fat head day you know um at least now I don't torture myself which I used to do which would be like well I'm going to try on that outfit and look in the mirror and then I'm going to try on that thing and look in the mirror and you know it was and it's the trap. I'm never going to feel better. I'm never. It's never going to be the right image looking back at me because it's really. That's really not what's going on. It's, it's what's in here, and it's. I I kind of have to believe. Sometimes I don't see myself accurately or truthfully. Um, you know, I get kind of glimpses of that with my husband, who will say from time to time, like, you just have no idea what you look like. You just have to be comfortable that you just don't know what the truth of what you look like is. Because if you could see you from the way the rest of the world sees you, you wouldn't be beating yourself up. <clears throat> so that's something that I wish and and work towards having more kind of freedom. And that's a definitely, like, relieve me of the bondage of self. Like, that was like a total light bulb for me. And I feel like that's um, I feel like that's probably a big part of the um, the bulimia, which I didn't really touch on. So I'll just briefly talk about that. Um, my bulimia story is I don't know, sort of backwards. I think um, it really I you know I kind of dabbled in it in elementary school, like junior high age. You know, binge with your girlfriends, and then hey, let's all go like try to throw up. Or let's all take a bunch of chocolate x lax You know, that was like kind of a, like a slumber party trick. I don't know. <laughs> when I got to college, I was like, wow, we're going to drink beer tonight. And beer's fattening. And I don't really want to get fat. So what if I throw up my dinner? I won't have to drink as much beer to get drunk. 
and then um, I won't get fat. So it was kind of like both tracks, both diseases, alcoholism, bulimia, like full steam ahead. And that's when it really kicked in. And then I lived in a sorority, which is like, you know, a bulimia, you know, hothouse. <laughs> Factory, yeah, exactly. Um, but you know what? Like I said, I was overweight the whole time, so I was totally, like, below the radar. Nobody suspected me. You know, the little girl who was, like, the aerobics teacher and, like, throwing up in her bucket, in her trash can, everybody, like, knew about her, but nobody had a clue. I was, like, throwing up in the showers and the sorority and in the dorms. Um, so it was really driven by my desire to, like, drink and not get fat. <coughs> and then it just kind of spiraled out of control. And I was never really super good at it, though I could I could throw up multiple times in a day. Um, and at the very end, before I came to program, my mom, God bless her in all of her good intentions, had offered me $10 a pound. And um, so I was really, like, binging, vomiting, getting on the scale. Seriously, like a little like little track between the kitchen and the bathroom, and, you know, it was horrible. Um, because basically my compulsive overeating had just overtook the bulimia. I couldn't, could never keep, keep up with the bulimia, and I was not somebody who could starve. I just I couldn't do it. I couldn't eat, like, a carrot and then vomit. I was like, if I'm going to go to that much trouble, I'm going to have, like, a gallon of ice cream and a chocolate cake. Um... But I was really, in the back of my mind, really fearful of um, like bursting my blood vessels, all those things that people tell you that can happen, and wearing the enamel off my teeth. And I'd gone to the doctor, and um, I don't even know why I went to the doctor, but I totally lied and said I'd been eating too many bran muffins and had been, you know, like taking laxatives, like, you know. <coughs> and just, I... My compulsive overeating overtook my bulimia, and that was really the thing that was driving me at that point. And it didn't matter how many laxatives I took or how much vomiting I did. I was never going to catch up to the amount of quantity of food that I was eating. So that when I got here, it wasn't that hard for me to stop throwing up um, or uh, take or abusing the laxatives. Um, but like I said, it was really hard to stop eating to just three times a day. So... Um, those of you who've been around for a while know that when I was kind of in the newer stages, all I did was talk about wanting to have a boyfriend. I mean, it was so boring, I'm sure, and it was so important to me at the time, you know. I had to pitch about it. Um, uh, it's, um, you know, it was. this was totally the grace of God. I met my husband, and... Um, Totally, I was off looking in this direction. I'm sure that this was the guy, and, you know, like, you know, like, full steam ahead after that person. Like, doesn't he know I'm the one? You know, and my sponsor had to just, like, basically, like, throw up the red lights and say, like, you are out of control. You know, you need to just go to women's meetings. You need to just, like, not be around men. You're, like, something's, you know, just, this is not good. So I just hunkered down in program. I started going to just women's meetings, you know, and I met my husband at the video store, like the video store clerk, you know, totally not looking there. He'd worked there three years, never noticed it before. The whole three years I'd been going there, never even know, never even knew he worked there. <laughs> and, you know, we struck up a friendship, and we've been together almost 18 years, and I have two kids and, you know, a life that honestly 
my goal was like, I hope I can be thin for whenever I get married and have a nice wedding dress before I got here. Like that was like my my weight goal, you know. If I could just pull off one more diet to like have a nice wedding dress, I'll be happy. And, you know, I'm living my dream life with, like, my dream children and husband, and I have a fantastic relationship with my brothers and sisters and my mom. I'm still working on. Um, (laughs) But, you know, and anybody who's been around heard me whine about my sisters for probably ten years. And now I'm the youngest of five, so for the longest time I just felt like, poor me, I was the baby, they're never going to see me as a grown-up, and... You know, I had to act like a grown-up in order to be seen as a grown-up. And I had to kind of change the dynamic in my family, which was uncomfortable for everybody, you know, including me. Um, it was hard to not be babied anymore, but I didn't didn't like the way it felt, and I didn't need to be the baby anymore. So, you know, that's all, like I said, that's all a result of being in program and particularly working the steps. You know, it's... That's, you know, you want to, you want relief from compulsive overeating, bulimia, anorexia, any of the things that plague us, the, the answer is in the 12 steps. And it is a bear, and it's a lot of work, and it's humbling, and it's fabulous, and it's life-changing, and it's, you know, painful, really painful, and really hard. But, you know, I would not have the life I have today were it not for that, for sure. So thank you so much for asking me, John. Appreciate it. Okay. Does anybody have any questions? Oh, okay. Um, I write out, I write a gratitude list. And I write kind of a dear God letter in the morning, and then I write a gratitude list. Um, and part, kind of in my dear God letters, things that I'm kind of fearful of or worried about. Um, and it's really easy for me to get stuck on that stuff. So it was pointed out to me that if I write a gratitude list, then I'm, and that's kind of the last thing that sends me off into my day, I'm not focused on all the stuff I don't have or I don't feel is going right. And then I write out, you know, I'm powerless over my fears and the need to control, and this makes my life unmanageable. I write the first three steps out in that way. And um, try to just be clear and, you know, eat my three meals a day or my two meals a day, whatever it turns out to be. And um, I read a couple different meditation books in the morning, and then I try to definitely have... Sometimes it's just in the shower. I mean, that's the time where I can shut the door and nobody can bug me. It's kind of out of necessity. That's where I really do my best kind of praying to God and kind of getting quiet. But I read the two meditation books and then have some quiet time that's just for me without kind of being interrupted and isn't about writing and just kind of to be still. And again at night, kind of saying thank you for the day. Anybody else have a question? Is that it? Okay.